Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the keep to my seventh level fighter, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. I'll have you know, good sir, I'm at 12th level now. Oh, oh, I, I'm at 31. You have dedicated yourself to that game in a way that I have yet to be able to. And I, I haven't been able to play as much as I've been able because I'm trying to kind of keep pace with my wife. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm 31. We're not talking about that, though, actually. We're, we're talking about today's deep dive because uh, keeps and fighters and such. That's, a, that's, a, that's an old D&D reference. But now I'm explaining it, and thus it's probably a bad one. So moving right along. <laughs> well, as always, we want to get started with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys help us keep the lights on and give us a reason to say these words at the beginning of every episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I just noticed I did not put the national day. No, no. The, instead, there's just a sentence that say announcements go here. National day day. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm stealthfully looking that up as we speak. Uh, and I'm trying to decide which one to do. There's actually two really good ones. We're going to go with both because they kind of don't deserve each other to be on the same day, but they're kind of amazing. So um, we're going to go first with uh, Jonathan. Happy national energize day. Ooh, what are we energizing? Uh, well, the day after the equinox, so apparently when this goes out, uh, the day and the night will be synced up as of yesterday. Uh, it is always National Energize Day, and it's a day for you. Uh, relax and rejuvenate yourself and focus on your personal well-being. And while you're focusing on your personal well-being, also think back and reflect on how it is also National Punctuation Day. Oh, I'm a big fan of that. Should we set a challenge to ourselves to try to end every sentence with a question mark or an exclamation point? I don't know, Robert. Shall we? That sounds really fun. Perhaps it does. <laughs> oh, inappropriate question marks are probably the best. I'm, I'm Ron, Ron Burgundy. Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, energize yourself with punctuation, people. It is it is both day. And, and bonus one, it's also National Cherries Jubilee Day, so enjoy that too while you're energizing, question mark, I guess. I don't know. I got nothing. Move along. <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, let's go ahead and move into our first segment. Our first segment, of course, is the off-the-shelf segment. This is where we tell you all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves, into our hearts, onto our tables, into our forward consciousness. I don't know where I'm going with this. Into the WoW Classic. That's been a majority of my time. Yeah, a good chunk of mine, too. Although Gears of War 5 came out, so I've been doing a lot of that, too. Yeah, yeah, makes sense, makes sense. So how, where, where, where are we going to start? What are we going to do? Well, since we've already breached it, let's just do video games. Okay. I've been playing a lot of WoW Classic. Uh, I, I was telling you before we got started, I'm enjoying that game, but my wife really enjoys that game. She is having so much fun. So I had to like warn her the other day. I'm starting to feel a little burned out. We need to pick like one day a week where we don't play this stupid game because I just I'm I'm a 40 year old man. I don't have that in me anymore. This isn't, you know, 2006 <laughs> or 2000, whatever, when we were playing, you know, we need to we need to like reconnect and, and, and have a day off. And uh, oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. OK, so I told you a little bit about this today, but this is this is the beauty of the game, Jonathan. 
This is a great story. So uh, I am a blacksmith because I'm a gnome and I get 15 free points of engineering. So why not be a blacksmith and not use that at all? Right. Am I right? I'm right. You're always right. I'm always right. I was out and I figured out a good place to farm for iron is a place by uh, called Dun Durok. I think it's Durok or something like that. It's some uh, reminds me of a Deep Space Nine name. So it amuses me now that I can't remember it like Durok or Jurok or something like that. It makes me I don't know. It makes me laugh. And I, it's, it's interesting because it's a place where the horde have a quest to go in there and kill some Alliance people. And so all of the elites, which means they have like double hit points and hit harder NPCs, uh, are, you know, hostile to the horde, but they are quite friendly to us on the Alliance. And so it's a good place to farm because they put some good nodes there because there's elites guarding them but they don't aggro on me. So I don't care. And so I've been up there farming and I just kind of go park my guy out there. There's a little spot that I hide in. And then, you know, I go and I adult and, you know, do some stuff and I come back every 15 minutes or so and just run around and collect or it's, it's been fun. And I see a lot of horde going into that, that it's a dwarf like underground bunker or something. So I see a lot of horde going in there and I generally just let them be. Cause you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not there to fight. I'm not hungry. I don't have a hunger in me. No, you even mentioned you're, you're, you're not as into PVP as you are. You have been. Yeah. 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 I, I just, yeah. Didn't, didn't do much for me. So, uh, today I was out there and I, I did my, I, I did one little trek and I'm like, you know what? I, I think I'm going to need to log out pretty soon. I don't really have time to like have my guy sit out here. Cause I had some stuff I need to do. Need to go pick up the boys from preschool and whatnot. So, uh, I was on my way back to log out because I was going to go do something else for 20 minutes while I waited to go pick up my boys. And I got attacked by a giant spider. And so I'm killing this giant spider as you do. And I look and I see two horde running up on me and I'm like, they're not going to attack me while I'm fighting a spider. Why would they do that? That's kind of low. No, no. They attack me while I'm fighting a spider, which is low. I've done it. And I will acknowledge that it's low when I've done it because you're trying to basically get the person to die by the spider. So they take a durability hit, um, but you help them on the way because if they die to you, uh, they don't lose money because your, your gear breaks over time. And so if, uh, if a player kills you, that doesn't happen. But if a enemy kills you, it do, right? Okay, so uh, I killed the spider before they killed me. So all is good. Didn't take a durability hit. I was fine. And, uh, and then they kill me, and I see them just run towards uh, the dwarf base. And I'm like, you, you idiots. Like, why would you do that? Don't you know what I can do to you in there? And I'm like, they, they don't know. They're, they're either, well, they need to be taught a lesson and why you probably shouldn't mess with people when you're on your way to doing an elite quest. And so I came back from the dead and I saw they were doing stuff. And so I ran into the middle of them and I used my warrior fear and I scared. It was a party of five with two hunters and their pets. So seven things scattered to the winds, picked up a whole bunch of aggro. They killed me. And that fighter that tagged me died. And I'm like, well, there you go. And so I raised from the dead and I, as a ghost, was watching them and I waited until they were in a little too deep and I resurrected and I worked my rage up and I feared them all again. <laughs> and I kept doing that. Managed to pull it off three times and killed. Uh, I wiped the party once and I pissed them off so bad. Two of the people left the group. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, was it worth it? Was it worth killing me with a spider when you were going somewhere to do an elite quest? Was it worth it? Because you know what? You know what? I don't think that was worth it for you. I think that was bad. You know, I think that was a poor choice. So word of the wise. Just uh, if you're on your way to an elite quest, uh, don't kill random people on the way. They can cause you problems. And I certainly did. And it was glorious. And I loved it. I was so happy. 
and it reawoke something in me, Jonathan. I, I, I forgot about this like PVP bloodlust I used to have where I just really enjoyed it. Cause what I, what I excel at, I'm not young. I don't have reflexes anymore. Right. I just don't, but you know what I do have Jonathan. I have a really, really good sense of how to annoy people as much as possible and make them rage. And that, that is not something you should mess with. No, it really isn't. Because people who do that in games where they're not playing to get kills, they're not playing to do whatever, they're playing to piss off the other team so bad that it makes them angry. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a win. Like when I play Hammond and I, I go in and do my thing and three people chase me because they're so fed up with my shenanigans. That's a win because they're not fighting the rest of my team. They're, they're chasing me like idiots. And uh, that's a win. I don't need it. I don't need gold kill stats or anything to tell me that I get the personal satisfaction and that's all I need. So Jonathan, that's why you need to get a little bit higher level so you can go into zones where stuff like that happens. Cause you're a warrior too. You get a fear eventually, you know that 25 rage and you just fear everything around you and fear. I'm getting there. Yeah. It, it makes the enemy stand still sometimes, or it makes them run in a random direction. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes when they have poor planning, it runs them into directions of other bad guys who start beating on them. It's pretty funny. So yeah, there you go. Just want to say that. And, and of course I've been keeping up with the dragon quest builders too. Still working up to where your save was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just stopped. I've been, like I said, I've been fooling around and having fun. I kind of reached this point where I need to move on. Cause I kind of set an arbitrary deadline of when I would move on. Cause I finished up a project and uh, like an achievement was about to pop and I'm like, I'll go when this achievement pops and the achievement's been popped for a couple days now. And I've just been sort of dragging my feet because I know if I start playing the next part, I'm going to have to devote a little bit more time to it to get kind of the first stuff kind of out of the way. Cause it's, you know, it's a storyline thing. So it just, it'll take like an hour or two and I just haven't really had that t- much time to devote to it. So, so what about you? You said Gears of War five came out. That's a, that's an Xbox exclusive. If I remember correctly, it is an Xbox exclusive, although you can get it on PC as well. It's one of their crossplay ones. Oh, well that makes sense. Microsoft and all Gears of War one, two, three were, Epic Games, and then they farmed it out. Uh, the Gears of War Judgment Day was farmed out to a different developer who had worked on a different shooter on the Xbox, but still close to Epic Games. And then Microsoft bought the IP. And then Gears, uh, they, they basically did the same thing that they did with the with Halo, where they made a whole brand new studio specifically for making Halo games, right? And that was 343 Industries. So they have made a whole brand new studio that's specifically making Gears games, and Gears of War 4 was was technically quite pretty and definitely an interesting story, but it, it felt repetitive when you were playing it, and you could tell that the team was just kind of coming to grips with everything. Gears 5 is the best Gears game ever made. It is triumphant in every way, shape, and form. So it's that they, they learned their lessons from the first one and, and iterated on everything. because Absolutely. It's not repetitive. They're some of the most epic battles ever that you've ever seen in a Gears game. The graphics are jaw-dropping to the point where I did not realize the Xbox One was capable of some of this. And, uh, yeah, it is a triumph from start to finish. I have been loving the living daylights out of it. Well, fun. That's cool. What else have you been doing? The huge? More Apex Legends. Season 2 is wrapping up. I'm max leveled, so I've got all the little collectibles from Season 2, which is kind of cool. I have Xbox Game Pass, and they put the entirety of Season 1 of Hitman on there so i downloaded all that because i can't say no to uh hitman for free and i played through the first two missions and wow it's really fun if you like those hitman games the the puzzle that is trying to figure out how to how to do the hit without getting caught uh it's really good it's super fun that was on the playstation about a year ago i think 
uh, as a, as the the game of the month, and I have it. It's just <sighs> games like that are just so hard to find time to play with all the the children skirt you know skittling about because. Uh, there's stuff in there they don't really need to see with their eyes. <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed. But it is super fun. The, the puzzles are great. And you've been playing WoW? Any Anything to report from that? Uh, yeah, I finally got to the point where I'm, I feel like I'm starting to make some forward progress. I mean, we've had a talk a couple of times about how obtuse that game is, <laughs> I guess for lack of a better term. Although you, I, there's a few things I know they explain that I, I know you just haven't read because, you know... You're a dude that doesn't like reading manuals or, you know, hints that pop up when you do stuff. Just saying. I do read it. I do read it when it pops up. Okay. Okay. But still, yeah, uh, that game is remarkably obtuse sometimes. Like, I, I'm i getting it because I remember it, you know? Like, it, it doesn't have a learning curve for me because it's, you know, it's an old thing for me, I guess. But, yeah, no, playing it playing it new. Uh, there's, a, there's another person in our guild who's never played WoW before. And uh, talking to her is kind of fun. We've, we've, she's leveling at a much slower clip than us, but whatever. She's having her own fun, which is a good time. She's playing a warlock. And uh, she was just talking today about how she didn't realize how evil her character was because uh, she had to, uh, uh, she had to get something called the heartwood. And she figured she just had to go cut down a tree somewhere, but no, she had to pry it off the corpse of somebody. <laughs> so uh, yeah, she's like, Am I evil? And I'm like, Yeah, warlocks are a little evil. They're a little evil, you know, trafficking in demons and whatnot. Not not something that you do if you're, you know, not evil. No, not so much. Not so much. Yeah. I I've leveled up a warlock. The warlock class quests get a little get a little weird sometimes. Uh, one of them on the horde to get the succubus is you have to kill the last two pure hearted men on all of Azeroth. And like one of them is just a dude who's like girl or his wife died or something like that, and he's just sort of you know, trying to live his life while, you know, going to her grave every night and pining over her. And that's how you kill him. He's at her grave and you just kill him and take his heart. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. A little dark, a little dark. Don't play warlock. If you don't want a little dark, you know, I mean, who would have thought summoning demons, a little dark. I mean, that's just depressing. <laughs> well, you picked a warrior. You'll like the warrior. Cl- I, I actually had a really good time on uh, a warrior class. Spoiler alert. If you want to hear it, but one of the, the quests you get, to unlock berserker stance at level 30 uh has you go to like basically fight club island and it's it's pretty funny like it's it's just a it's fight club island it's 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 actually pretty hilarious i had a good time doing that quest including fighting a lot of bare-chested men there were a lot of bare-chested men to fight but we don't talk about fight club that's right we don't talk about warrior club and berserker stance and I may have been singing that song from uh, Clerks a bit after I got Berserker Stance, which one of the lyrics, well, I, you know, my love for you is like a truck bazaka. Yeah, I was doing that all night. It was fun. You got nothing? Did I lose you? No. Not a fan of Clerks? <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. That's weird. That movie should have been more up your alley because I, I was I was a little kid when it came out, but you're slightly older than me. I was slightly, working in movie enough. when Clerks came out. And it played at my theater. I've I've seen the movie probably 30 times. I love it. It's just, it's easily been five, six years since the last time I watched it. No. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, the reboot's coming out, so there you go. Well, it's Jay and Silent Bob get rebooted, but apparently, yeah, I don't know what's going on in that movie. It'll be funny. I, I understand it's more of a sequel. Yes, it is more of a sequel. That's the joke. Anyway, sorry. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm way off topic. I'm still getting, I, I have to take my, my, my twins got into preschool suddenly 
because apparently when they say they need to be three before they can be considered, uh, they weren't kidding. So like our boys turned three and then they like told us they're in like the next day. And it's like, oh, by the way, school starts next week. And it's like, oh, my. OK, so I've been like still adjusting to getting up earlier to drive boys to preschool. I'm a little I'm a little fuzzy right now. It's a good time. So I haven't had enough coffee today, I don't think. This is neither here nor there. This is riveting radio. Us just kind of being like, whoa, man, I'm so out of it. I'm kind of tired. <laughs> well, since you started bringing up movies and stuff, uh, shall we switch over to movies and TV? Yes, please, please. Uh, you have more than me, so you go first. The last two weekends, uh, now that Carlos is getting a little bit older, we're starting to expose him to some more adult movies. Brrr. Adult movies, huh? Not that adult. How progressive of you. Not that thinking. adult. But we did watch Terminator <laughs> and Terminator 2. Nice. Yeah, those are R, but they're not hard R. No, they're not hard R at all. Yeah, there's a lot of just gratuitous violence, and I like I like I don't think I would I would show him like uh, the Last Boy Scout. That's a little gratuitous. No, that's a little different. Yeah, yeah, Die Hard's pushing it too. There's a lot of blood in Die Hard. There is a yeah. ton of blood in Die Hard. But yeah, yeah, the Terminator movies, yeah, not so much, not so much. So how have those been going over? So Terminator 1, you can tell it was shot on cheap-ass film stock, and it was cheap film yeah. stock from the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we all know that. Yeah. So, I mean, even on Blu-ray, uh, where they've cleaned it up as much as they humanly can, it's just got this this blessedly early, mid-80s feel to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. That, that stuff that they add into Stranger Things. Yeah. <laughs> Digitally. And these days. you get to the end of Terminator, and there's the great showdown once the Terminator's lost his skin. And, of course, it's, uh, you know... It's a Harryhausen-style, hand-animated... Um, yeah, stick figure puppet. Yeah, exactly. And so Carlos freaked out. I was like, oh my god, these special effects are so bad. And I had to tell him, you know, this movie predates computers in terms of being able to, to process anything worth a darn. Think about when we watched the first Tron movie, and that's the, the level of computer graphics compared to what you're used to with the Avengers and stuff. And I said, okay, just remember, seven years later, they made the sequel, and I showed him T2. Damn if T2 don't hold up. Yeah, yeah, it does hold up pretty well. I mean, they go to an arcade, which is kind of laughable. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, like, and they go to, effects let me rephrase. hold up. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let, let's even back up further. They go to an arcade in a mall, which is really laughable. Yeah. That's hilarious. But um, the effects even really hold up, with the exception of when the the T-1000 is squishing its gunshot wounds back into place. That's the only one that you can tell is so obviously plastered on top. All the other effects look amazing. Yeah, well, you know, practical effects, they they had some good stuff. Like, I... I've said it before, I think on this podcast even, like, I, computers make a lot of directors way too lazy these days, you know? But I'm talking about the CG stuff, too. Right, yeah, I know, but there's way too many people saying, we'll fix it in post because computers have gotten so good. But, like, Terminator 2, they had to really plan that stuff out because they couldn't waste money just sort of messing around with it, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. it, they had to really work at it, and and it shows, you know? Like, they much like the Lord of the Rings films and, and the models and cause they did a lot, of, they did a lot of model work and they put it all together with computers, you know, like the compositing. But a lot of that was just, you know, splicing various model shots together, which is really cool. The difference between a movie where they don't have the budget. So they really have to plan out their action sequences and stuff like John Wick's kind of the same. John Wick movies are not made for the, I mean, they're not like cheap movies, but they're not super duper expensive either, you know? So everything they have to do, they have to like really plan because they can't, afford to mess around with it you know what i mean oh yeah yeah 
Yeah. And, and there's just such a difference in quality. Whereas blo- a lot of blockbusters these days, they just sort of like can go like, yeah, whatever. We'll fix it with computers later. Nah, nah. Moving on. Let's get another page done today. You know, and it's like, oh, it kind of shows, you know, movies like that become hot messes pretty fast. I'm looking at you, Hobbit. You're, you're a very, very obvious offender. <laughs> so, um, yeah, T2 really holds up. And then we watch T3. You know, I want to like that movie. I really like the ending and I yes. really like that they, the way they address why the timeline's different because it makes, it makes the first two movies impactful. It's like, yeah, they went back and they tried to fix it, but some things are just inevitable. Well, it's not just that it's, it's the thing that people always forget, right? I don't know if I've explained it. I, I have a convoluted theory about this. Okay. So Skynet always happened, right? Yeah. Because Skynet had to exist for the Terminator to go back in time and change history. Like it wasn't a closed time loop. It became a closed time loop. Like Skynet made itself appear faster by sending a, a Terminator back in time that got crushed. But it, it always happened in the first place. And, and that's what I, I always felt the t- Terminator 3 was addressing. It's not that Skynet's inevitable. I mean, Skynet to an extent was inevitable, but they sort of rest on their laurels because they're like, oh, it was a stable time loop. You know, once we once we cut the loop off, everything's fine. And and T three was like, no, 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 no. Skynet always existed, and it sent a Terminator back in time to try to kill John Connor. That that was always fixed. It's just, you know, doing that altered the timeline in the future. But then when you altered the timeline again and set it back to its original bandwidth, that was still there. You know, they yeah. didn't stop that. They weren't keeping an eye out for you know the original Skynet. They were just keeping an eye out for the one that they created with the microchip, because as soon as that Terminator went back in time, he altered history and, and remembered things differently. At least that was my take on it. But yeah. I, I've, I've watched that movie a couple of times. It's not, there's something about it that's just off and I don't know what it is. I couldn't tell you what it is. Like it hits all the notes it needs to hit. And generally they're decent. It just doesn't quite ever gel. Great. You know what I mean? No, that's true. There's something off about it. And, and I don't know what it is either. Cause it's not the actors. The actors are fine. I, mean, I can't tell you what it is, but something doesn't come together. It's it's missing that certain je ne sais quoi. Yeah. Well, we'll see if uh, if Dark Fate fixes that because I am. Man, I'm pretty stoked about Dark Fate. That trailer is amazing. I, I've been burned before by good looking trailers of Terminator movies. So yeah, but I, Linda I'll... Hamilton came back. James James Cameron helped write it. Yeah, I know. I'm just I'm just I'll, I'm I'm going to I'm going to wait for the reviews and kind of word of mouth before I make a decision on if I'm going to see that in the theaters or not. I mean, I'll definitely rent it or stream it or whatever, but yeah, I'm not, yeah. All right, you watched another Terminator movie. Uh, yeah, then we watched Salvation. And I'm sorry. You know, that movie's not without its fun. I'm not arguing that. I'm arguing that Skynet had the stupidest gnome plan I've ever seen in my entire life in that game. Get Kyle Reese to draw out John Connor. It's like, why don't you just kill? Because uh, it's like, well, Skynet didn't know why Kyle Reese was important. It's like, well, whatever, <laughs> but yeah. And it's like lure, lure John Connor to a term, uh, to a base so you can throw a Terminator at it. And that's it. Like that was its master plan. Like throw robot naked dude at him. I, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm not saying it made a ton of sense either, but I don't know. There's some really good action in it. There's some really, really actually well put together scenes like that, that unbroken shot where he goes up in the helicopter, then comes back down, crashes and then gets attacked by the Terminator. That That is a neat scene. I wish they had felt more secure in their movie because like they were trying so hard to like try to set up another trilogy or something like 
it was a problem. I mean, people still get in trouble with it, but there were a lot of people who were getting in trouble with it back in the day where the, in that period of time where they were trying to set up a trilogy and not thinking about the movie they were making, you know? Well, that's what happened with Genesis too. Genesis, they, they even came out and they announced the trilogy before they had even finished making the first movie. Which is hubris, if you ask me. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. Genesis was interesting. I'm, I'm going to watch that one, too. I'm, I'm basically prep- preparing for the new Terminator movie. That's why we're, we, we're doing it. Part of me part of me is really seriously starting to think that maybe the whole Terminator concept as a whole just doesn't work anymore. Because whatever fear it was tapping into, you know, is just a 80s, 90s fear at best. And, and something about you know, computers run amok just doesn't resonate anymore, you know? Cause like, if you want to like reboot it, like you'd have to work social media into Skynet somehow, you know, like, like social media run amok. And I, I don't know how you do that. Well, actually, interestingly enough in T3, they address that. It, it, it's not necessarily social media that they're addressing, but they do the Skynet is birthed because of a virus. Right. Well, yeah. Skynet's uh, software, not hardware, which was clever. I'll, I'll, these are really uh, the movie's years old. Spoiler free, whatever. We don't we don't get to. Yeah, if you haven't watched T three yet, then you're probably not going to. It, it's been right, out right. for more than a decade. Yeah, for yeah. God's sakes, I, it was. I was still living in California when it came out. <laughs> but no, no. My point is like the fears that we have about computers right now. Like it's the general angst of social media, and I don't care which side of the social media is screwed. By the way, because I don't care which side of the the political spectrum you're on, both sides hate them right now for different reasons. <laughs> but you know what the problem is? Both sides hate them right now, and those fears I think need to be in a movie about technology run amok. And I don't know how you put skeletal robots in with that. Like I don't think it makes sense. Like I, I honestly I wish the new Child's Play movie was better because that seemed to be the correct answer for, for why, you know, why technology is evil right now or something, which was, you know, Chucky was also an evil app, <laughs> which I'd like, I wanted, I, I, I haven't seen the movie yet. Oh, I should, I, I should see if it's at the library. Now I'm excited. If, if I was to reapproach these movies today, I think the way I would do it would be with, um, focusing on the AI and all the AI stuff that's going on. And then having the, Skynet basically manipulate people using things like deep fakes. That that's how the manipulation should hand, be handled. It shouldn't just be a virus that takes over. It should manipulate the people. Because essentially that would be an extension of what they're trying to do with the T800s and that makes those make a little more sense because again, it's about manipulation. Yeah, I wouldn't play it up that they would just give a, an algorithm basically control of, you know, all the nukes because that doesn't seem like something we do now because, you know, computers can get hacked. It'd have to be a rogue AI that sort of orchestrated itself into getting access to that. Exactly. And that's where the manipulation comes into uh, comes into play. Like an AI that it, it is not given access to the Internet and it gives itself access to the Internet by manipulating the people around it. Yeah, well, and you're right. Then it makes sense of why it would make replicants to go do stuff because sure. it would need Manipulation avatars. is what it knows. It's its game. Yeah. See, there you go. You're a smart man. I you're have my a smart dude. You do. You do. And I just put Child's Play on order, the new one, yeah. at the library. Yeah. Libraries are cool. <laughs> all right. All right. So I've been watching movies. Uh, I got two things I want to talk about. First off, Steven Universe movie came out. It was lovely. It was it was a great kind of, um, if they don't make anything else for the show, it was a nice coda. It, it the, the show wrapped itself up nicely, and then we got this little bonus, like, extra bow to put on top in the form of the movie. And it's a musical, and the songs were catchy. So I've got this theory about series finales of shows, which is in general, 
Uh, you want to sort of see the characters move on into the future and you want to know that they'll be okay like in the future, which is why I think like all good things really worked because it flashed forward and you got to see like their lives in the future and where they ended up. Shows do better jobs of that than others, but I think that's a very important component in a series finale. You want sort of like this sense of where they are moving to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think st- the, the Steven Universe movie worked because it picks up two years later. And, um, you know, everybody's gotten older, you know, certain relationships have matured a little bit and things are generally better, but you know, sort of the good fight never ends because a new villain kind of comes out of the woodwork and, and it's, it's just good. It was, it was, it was very pleasant. It was a very pleasant surprise. I I was not expecting it to be as interesting and as good as it was. So, and it's a musical from beginning to end. It like the, yeah, it's just one long musical, which is kind of funny. I had a good time though. And, uh, and then I don't know why this happened, but the trailer for Dr. Sleep came out. Have you seen it yet? For Dr. Sleep? Dr. Sleep. Oh, you have not. Okay. Uh, it is the sequel to The Shining. Oh, you know what I did? Yeah. That looks creepy as hell, man. Yeah. I watched the trailer of it and I was oddly like transfixed because like a lot of shots in it looked very. Oh no, it's, it's magnificent. They're, they're, they're channeling Kubrick in a big way. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but I know that Stephen King worked on it and cause I've read articles where the director mentioned that he, you know, t- talked to Stephen King a lot about it. And the fact that it looks so Kubrickian made me kind of go and, and reread that. And Stephen King like acknowledged like, yeah, you know, when we were designing this movie, we kind of knew we, it had to be a sequel to the movie, even though he hates the original movie for various reasons. And, you know, and he was giving the do- the director guy a lot of credit for, you know, just, you know, him saying that out loud to him and, and Stephen King is not stupid. You know, he's like, yeah, you know, there's kind of no escaping that. And so they sort of brainstormed together about how to rectify making it a sequel because the book and the movie are apparently a little different. And so, you know, it, they're like, it needs to be a sequel to the movie for this movie. But how do we how do we sort of bring those things back together? And, and, and in, a, in a way that makes you happy, because I also want you to be happy with this movie. I don't want you trashing it for 20 years. <laughs> you know, I want to like work with you here and make it right. And 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 Stephen King has been singing the movie's praises, you know, because he, he the, the director guy was, a, you know, they had a lot of good discussions and stuff. So I uh, yeah, but that trailer, just something about it. It's just transfixing. I don't know what it is. No, it's yeah, it's it's super well done. So uh, it reminded me, I don't think I've seen The Shining since it was on like uh you know, channel 13 when I was a kid, like I remember the last time I, I saw it. Uh, I, and I was like a kid, uh, we were over at like a family friend's house and me and the other people, other kids were like watching movies. We shouldn't be watching while it was on channel 13, you know? And, uh, I, I sort of have very hazy memories of it. And so I'm, uh, I, I, I rented it from the library. Me and me and, uh, Gina are going to have a not wow night sometime coming up and we're going to watch the shining after all the children go to bed. Have you seen it lately? How does it hold up? I'm, I'm really curious. It is creepy as all get out, man. Yeah. Well, Stanley Kubrick, man, he knew how to just shoot something, you know? God rest that man's soul. That guy was a good director. I watched Eyes Wide Shut recently for no real reason. And even though that movie's kind of a garbage fire, like it's shot beautifully. (laughs) No, that's true. It really is. And that movie really is kind of a garbage fire. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I get what he was getting at in that movie, but I don't think it worked. I don't think it quite worked. Anyway, anyway. All right. So, uh, we've done movies and TV and RPGs, uh, or not RPGs and video games. What else? I've done some RPGing in a weird way. Oh yeah. Hell. Uh, so I had to like 
not reboot, but I had to like sort of half restart the last turn of the microscope game because it, it got a lot of my control while I wasn't doing things. And, and I realized it was my fault because I hadn't explained stuff. And uh, it kind of all went pear shaped right when I was getting busy with preschool stuff. And I, uh, I just, I put it on the back burner and someone reminded me about it. I'm like, oh yeah, I need to work on that. So we're, uh, we're, we're taking our turn over as I work out the kinks of, uh, of the online system. So I apologize for kind of losing track on that, but Matt Coville, who, uh, I don't know if you know that dude, uh, he does a lot of YouTube channels about, uh, or YouTube videos about how to run D and D. He released a sheet for called my campaign. And it's supposed to be something you fill out when you're starting up, you're about to boot up your campaign. And the only, the reason it's there is to sort of force you to think about certain questions that you need to answer it in, for your players and stuff, especially if you're coming up with homebrew. And, uh, I read that and I really wanted to fill it out, but with the, the setting that me and my wife have been making up. And then I realized, you know, who actually should fill that out? My wife. And then, you know, I'll take what she gives me and try to like build off of it. And that was freaking awesome. So yes, if you use microscope to build a campaign setting, I highly suggest the, my campaign sheet as a follow-up, uh, if you type in my campaign, Matt Coville, it'll pop up in Google. There's yeah, it's super easy to download. Nice. Nice. That was, that was really cool. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's really an interesting way to flesh out kind of the start of your, your campaign. And I also been reading, I got a physical copy of, uh, strongholds and followers, the book that got you a whole bunch of points in our last year's, uh, predictions episode. I don't know if you remember, cause you said Kickstarter will break records. And then I got more points than you because I said, I think it'll happen with RPGs, but I don't think it'll happen with board games. And I was more correct. So I got six points to your five. Ha ha. <laughs> I do believe I've, I've not lost a single prediction. You shut episode. your mouth. Just shut saying. Mouth. Just shut your mouth. Just throwing that out. Anyway, there. I have been reading that book, but I liked it so much. I, uh, I forced you to do it as today's deep dive. So we'll talk about that later. And uh, since I've been reading and RPGing that, that takes us to you, good sir. Tell me how Dune Watch 2020 is going. Dune Watch 2020 is going great. Uh, I am at the very, very end of book two uh, within Dune, and I shall be starting the final third of the book very, very soon. Uh, I haven't had as much of a a chance to read this week as I would like. Uh, But yeah, Dune Watch 2020, uh, principal photography is done. They are in post. Oh, nice. Good times. Uh, I suspect that we will have a trailer during the holiday re- uh, film releases this year. At least a teaser. You, you were you were hoping for Star Wars, so we'll see what happens. That would be awesome. <laughs> also, the one sheet, the first one sheet's been released, and it's gorgeous. I, uh, I, I want to go into the trailer blind, so I will just message me when that actually happens, okay? Yeah, absolutely. I think that takes us to board games, right? I think we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Board games. Um, not a ton, not a ton for me. Let, let me, let me do mine. Uh, we wrapped up that game of not alone that we've been playing forever. <laughs> Remember the one I was talking about last time where, uh, I had a lot of good early stuff, but then, uh, you know, that robbed me of some resources. Uh, yeah, I lost, I was doing so well in the beginning. Like I, 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 it, yeah, it came down to the wire though. It was really cool. Like, like, uh, yeah, all I had to do was guess correctly once and I would have won, but I didn't guess correctly at all for six turns. So yeah, that kind of (laughs) sucked. 
but yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. We, we both, um, so there's a little tracker and the humans need to go down more spaces than the, the, the hunting alien does. And we, on the last turn, we were both one away from winning and that's all we needed. Like if I had guessed better, I would have, I would have won there, but I did not. I did not, which is crappy. And you know what, you know, what really sucks. Uh, the last three turns, if I had gone with my gut and not overthought it, I would have gotten somebody and I should have learned my lesson, you know, after the first one or two, but I kept second guessing myself and uh, thinking too hard. And Robert needs to play with his gut more, I guess is what I'm getting at. Cause I probably would have won had I done that. I overthought it. So we're, we're putting together another game and I, uh, I'm rooting for you, buddy. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know. They, I, I mentioned that cause you said on the podcast that you want to play it. That's like, that's like, might as well be law. You might have, might as well written it in blood. That's why I said it where I said it. Yeah. On a, on a, on a sheet of paper made out of like human skin like that. That's like, yeah, your soul is bound to doing that now. So what have you been playing? In the board game arena, uh, a lot more terror below. Uh, it's become a, a hit in the house. Um, and then, uh, Dale came over and a couple of, or uh, another buddy of ours, Jared came over and we played the fourth mission of mechs versus minions three times and got our butt kicked each time. We came within one hit point of beating this character. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to quite get all the way. Uh, we also played some Reckoners, which was interesting. Reckoners. Why? This sounds vaguely familiar and I can't place it. That's the one that's based on the Brandon Sanderson book where right. the superheroes are jerks. and um, Right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's a, it's, a, it, it's a fun little co-op and we've been having a blast with it. You haven't played it in a while, I take it, right? No, it's been a minute since we played it. Uh, we played it a couple times when it first came out, and this is the first time we've had to, a chance to go back. Uh, it's a good little co-op. I mean, it's it's good table talk. Uh, there's a lot of dice rolling, so there's a lot of um, chance in it, which is kind of entertaining. And, uh, yeah, Dale, as always, roll like crap. <laughs> nice. Do you play RPGs with him? Does he do that in RPGs? No, I haven't had a chance to play an RPG with him yet. We've talked about it, but we haven't made a game come together yet. I, I have a friend who has that problem. Like, if it's a role that doesn't need to be good for any real reason, it's like, I'm going to go talk to this guy and try to, like, seduce them or, I don't know, whatever. You know, just something that's not plot-related, but just something I'm doing for funsies. He'll roll, like, a 20 every time. But then it's like, I rolled a hit in combat. Four. And it's not even like he critically misses. He can't, he can't even have that satisfaction of being that bad. You know, it's just always like, no, I don't do anything. Nope. Still don't do anything. Nope. Still don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of the off the shelf segment. We will return after a quick break. And when we do, it will be time for our, unfortunately all too short this week, wisdom of crowds. I got, I got some stuff. I got, I got a couple stuff. things, little things. Well, we'll, we'll get there. Minor, minor little things. We'll see how it is. Maybe, if we can beat last time of 10 minutes for the whole segment, I will call it a win. All right. We will be right back. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowds. This is, of course, the segment where we talk about all of the bi-weekly tabletop news that we are able to scour the internet for, which at this time of the year is kind of low. I actually have six things, although one of them barely counts. 
right. I have three. Oh my god! So oh my god! I get to go. I, wow, this is this is rare for me. <laughs> I just start us off. So a lot of Gen Con panels have released as podcasts, and I have been listening to quite a few of them. And there are quite a few good ones. I uh, I highly suggest actually uh, uh, this first one I'm going to talk about. It's a series. There's a podcast called Plot Points, and he had a lot of seminars at Gen Con. And he did one called uh, Why TSR Failed. And the, uh, the guy who hosted it was Ben Riggs. And he was doing a just an entire segment of why TSR went bankrupt. And uh, he sh- was sharing interesting stories from that. And stuff I, uh, he put together some things I had heard but never quite uh, got. But I wanted to bring this little tidbit up from it as sort of a plug. Lorraine Williams was president of TSR and she was largely responsible for running it into the ground. And a lot of people kind of frame her as a villain of that story that she wasn't, you know, like a gamer or whatever. And she didn't understand gamers, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I just want to share this tidbit to uh, maybe reframe her in a better light. There was a game designer TSR named William W. Connors. Uh, He worked a lot with the Ravenloft campaign setting. After they moved to Wisconsin to work for TSR, his wife had a psychotic episode. Uh, which he goes into more in the podcast. And uh, it was so bad, it required her to be hospitalized for a year uh, to get her. Wow. He- yeah, it was it was pretty bad by all accounts. And so he shared this little tidbit that William remembered uh, going home and he would, you know, take care of his kids and then they would spend their evening uh, with his two little six-year-old boys on his shoulders uh, and he would do whatever they wanted him to do in uh, Tomb Raider and they'd play Tomb Raider until it was time to go to bed after school, after dinner and all that. And then he put his boys to bed and until he passed out, he would just be waiting for the call from the hospital that his wife had killed himself in the mental hospital because that's how bad it was. It was pretty bad. So after she got out, it was very clear to him that he she needed somebody to keep an eye on her and, and take care of her at home for a little bit. And he was the only person who could. So he walked into TSR's office, walked up to his boss, said, hey, um, you know, you know about the stuff's going on with my wife. I, I can't. I gotta, I gotta work with my family, man. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And it sucks. This is my dream job, but I, I gotta resign. And, uh, so here's my letter of resignation. I gotta go. I gotta go home and take care of my wife. And, uh, the, you know, the VP obviously was like, oh man, that sucks. You know, hate to see you go, but, you know, but yeah, 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 we get it. You know, you know, whatever. Yeah. Take off today. It's, it's cool. So William went back to his office and he was cleaning out his desk. And 15 minutes later, uh, that VP, the same one walked back up to him and said, Hey, uh, so I called Lorraine about what was going on with you and, uh, she wanted me to tell you that she will not accept your resignation and you still have a job here and we'll figure it out. And he said, I, there's no way I can come into work. Like there's no way. And he said, don't worry about it. Come in when you can and we'll, we'll figure it out. And he said he went into work maybe one day a week, uh, for a year, over a year. And uh, TSR still cut him checks that whole time. He didn't lose pay and they paid for his stuff. And that was all Lorraine Williams. So, so that kind of story and more you can find in that podcast, but I thought it was good. And uh, uh, kind of the announcement, he's going to be writing a book about all of that, uh, which he hopes to have out by next Gen Con. So yeah, Plot Points podcast. Uh, there's three of them that were in the panel. He did Why TSR Failed, The Birth of Third Edition, and uh, TSR West which are all very interesting panels about people making extremely poor business decisions. So many poor <laughs> business decisions. Lorraine Williams, villain, probably not, seems like an okay person. Bad business person, yes, yes. She ran TSR into the ground with a lot of really bad decisions, but not a bad person. So I just wanted to share that. Okay, so Pelgrane Press released their uh, 
panel as a podcast and uh, they had a little bit more info about one of the uh, one of the games i've been kind of keeping my eye on it was supposed to come out this gen con but it doesn't sound like it happened because their slate actually got kind of full uh there was a game we were talking about called android dreams it apparently has been rechristened robots and war because apparently android dreams is the name of a lot of things and they didn't want to compete with all that (laughs) but they said the reason they're making the game is because uh, a lot of pelgrane press gumshoe games are a little dark you know like Fighting the vampires, fighting the Cthulhu's, fighting the Cthulhu's in the 60s. Can't imagine why that would be considered dark. Yeah, yeah. So they realized that they, um, because they have a lot of kids like playing 13th Age, which is their sort of D&D-ish, you know, high fantasy game. And they realized they didn't really have a good entry point for people who wanted to play something not as dark, maybe something with teenagers, (laughs) you know. And uh, so that's what Robot Dreams is supposed to be. It's supposed to be their lighter uh, game. So it's going to be about solving the mystery of where the bio, your, your robots and you're solving the mystery of where the biological friends went that made all the robots that aren't around anymore. And so that's a mystery you're trying to solve. And then you're also supposed to, as a character decide, are you just going to follow your programming or are you going to become something more? And that's what that game is going to be about. It's going to be a little bit more philosophical and character driven and less dark. So sounded interesting. Just want to pass that along. And uh, they also announced that they're coming out with a class book for 13th Age. And one of the classes was uh, written by the owner's son because apparently he wrote a good class. So I thought that was a cute story that, you know, 12-year-old made a class that actually is going to make it in that book. (laughs) Or I guess he's 15 now. I think they said that. But yeah, it was a funny story. Still pretty cool. Still pretty cool. All right. Well, you like Euro games. Yes. What if I told you that there was an expansion coming out to one of the most loved and highly rated Euro games of all time? Go on. Terra Mystica is getting an expansion, the Merchants of the Seas. This adds a bunch of nautical-flavored actions and content to Terra Mystica, and you're basically going to be able to form a nautical strategy, uh, claim distant lands, and do a lot of trading. So there's going to be a sideboard that adds uh, a bunch of different tiles and countries and and new avenues to victory to to the overall game. Nice, nice. So that's the Merchants of the Sea expansion. Uh, it'll be joining the Fire, uh, what is it, Fire and Ice or something? Yeah, Fire and Ice expansion that's already out on the market. So Terra Mystica, uh, really, I mean, it, it's it's so highly rated. <laughs> Magpie Games had a uh, panel at the Gen Cons, and they announced a few things. So they're making a game called Airlock, and I thought this might interest you. It, they're going to kickstart it early in 2020. It's a Powered by the Apocalypse game that is played entirely in the box using cards and not dice. And apparently the box will really contain everything because apparently you need a dry erase marker to also play it. And that will also be in that box. So there you go. Very cool. But the main premise is you are a crew of three to eight people docking with some form of Xeno ship and bad things start happening to you. And one of the cards in the deck means one of the players will go crazy and become a problem that everybody else has to deal with by the end of the game. And no less, the game master also has a character they get to play, which is the ship's artificial intelligence that is trying to help them. Oh, that's neat. But the ship's artificial intelligence can also pull the card that drives them insane. And so your AI can go rogue while you're on the alien ship, Uh, (laughs) which sounds pretty fun. It's designed for one shots and convention play. So you just get the box. And if you have a game night, just pull it out, play the game. And that's all you need to do. It's it's just a one shot. Yeah, yeah. I thought it sounded really neat. So uh, look for the Kickstarter early in 2020. Magpie also reported that the Kickstarter for the Root RPG should be up soon. And I think this is like 
possibly between real soon and blizzard soon. They kind of mentioned like end of fall, early winter, I think was their, their aiming point. Editing Robert here. <laughs> With my sidekick, Barry. Say hi, Barry. Hi, Barry. The Root RPG Kickstarter is actually currently live. I apparently got that one wrong. So go over to Kickstarter and check it out now. It looks quite cool. Editing Robert out. Hi. Say editing Robert out. Hi. Very good. They said that one of the ways you can definitely play the game is you could play the board game for a little bit and then just sort of like freeze the board game state and pick up the RPG from that point because it'll be that connected. Oh, that's cool. Your characters will indeed be the Vagabonds. Uh, which is the faction that uh, they're kind of the man with no name. They can kind of work for anybody <laughs> to uh, to help them progress uh, while following their own agenda. It's also going to include rules for random forest generation. So you can make your own forest and you don't have to use the board game, you know, thing because that's designed for, you know, tactical board game play. And, and, uh, but a random forest can be random and have random little offshoots that don't go anywhere. And, you know, maybe are good and maybe are not. Uh, it will, they're trying to get, uh, a quick start together before they launch the Kickstarter and they're trying to get roll 20 support. So you can play the Kickstarter on roll 20 while the Kickstarter is live. That is their goal. Uh, and they say they're actually pretty close to it this time because they were trying to do that for their last Kickstarter for zombie world, I guess, but they didn't get the, 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 the roll 20 stuff there, but it's there now. So all they have to do is sort of like tweak it over to the root. So yes, root RPG coming from magpie soon. Renegade and Foxtrot Games put out a game uh, a little bit ago, uh, The Fox in the Forest, which is lovely. Just a neat game, excellent cover art. And we are now getting a uh, cooperative version, The Fox in the Forest Duet. Is it The Fox in the Forest and Silver Spoon? Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're going home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. I don't know why that made me think of it, but I just had to sing it once I did. Go on. I'm sorry. So you both play foxes. You'll be jumping through the forest and doing all kinds of fun tricks and whatnot to get gems uh, and win the game. You don't want to get lost. That is a, a bad, bad thing. <laughs> and Gen- generally, in, at all times, that's <laughs> a bad, bad thing. Yeah, but especially if you're a fox in the forest. Yeah, yeah, because that's, uh, that's when the Englishmen I, come get I you. I really, really enjoyed Fox in the Forest, which is why I pulled, when I saw this, I got really excited. It is an excellent, excellent game. Nice. So I, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's a, a lovely, uh, enjoyable experience, and that they're bringing out a cooperative version is really neat, so I'm really excited. Yeah, I dig it. Re- really quick, uh, uh, Google the, the cover. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking Fox at it. Fox in the Forest Duet. Oh, Fox in the Forest Duet. Because tell me it's not the most adorable thing ever. Oh, they're all snuggles. Exactly they're right. Snuggles. That's so cute. Now I want those foxes to win because they're so cute. Well, you can be one of those foxes. Oh, that's so cute. Little eyes are closed. They're having a good time. Everybody needs some snuggles, yeah. man. Everybody. Of course. <laughs> uh, so quick little tidbit. Uh, Pel- uh, not Pelgrane. Arc Dream Publishing's uh, Gen Con panel also came out. And just the book I am waited for with bated breath and holding my breath. And I'm just so excited about this book because it's a, it's a Cthulhu book, but it's not about Cthulhu. It's about the king in yellow and unmasking and the, the white sky with the black stars and all that, which I really want to run because I am so over Cthulhu stuff, but I'm so not over Yellow King stuff because the Yellow King's great. Impossible Landscapes should finally be out in 2020. I really, 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 really want to run a campaign of this. I really want to run Surreal Horror, Jonathan. And channel the first season of True Detective and have someone be Russ Cole and all of that. It sounds like so much fun. Do you know about The Yellow King, sir? Have you ever read that book? 
Yes. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. They really play with the idea in Delta Green that like reading that play will just drive you to insanity <laughs> and, and, and make you like want to perform the play and make other people read it as much as possible and then slowly make you drift into Carcosa and take people with you. Cause yeah, it's so good. It's so good. It's the mind virus and I love it because it's, you know, it's a virus, but the virus is an idea. And once people have the idea, how do you get rid of it? And uh, Delta green fashion is usually with uh, implements of uh, death to the brain. Cause that's how you kill an idea. You have to murder it. <laughs> you don't just inception it. No, no, they don't have the dream inceptions. That'd make an interesting RPG. Yeah. Trying to burn the yellow King <laughs> out of somebody's brain with inceptions. That'd be cool. I could see that working. Yeah. That would be, I mean, just Inception in general would make a really cool RPG. And then add the Yellow King as an expansion. I could, that could work. That could work. Nobody steal that idea. Maybe I'll cut this out so no one else could steal it I from us. I think you should cut it out. I feel like writing this with you. Okay. Legitimately. Okay. I think that's amazing. That's a, such a great story. Maybe I should just like bleep it <laughs> so so you don't know what we're talking about. That would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm a big fan of Abyss. In fact, I think I bought it at your old store. You, you did. You did indeed buy it at our old store. I was happy to give it to you. I, I, I got a little pang in my heart every time I saw it on your shelf. It was one of the last things I uh, sold, actually, honest enough. It's, that that game was striking because of the way it was presented. All the you know, the art is front and center on the box. There the name isn't even on the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just very yeah. No, that, that game always was kind of striking. Now and wrapped inside is a brilliant, wonderful game. Uh, I love that game. So much fun. Uh, there's resource management, there's card collection, there's push your luck. It's, it's really just a great strategic game. Well, not only is it getting, uh, another expansion, Leviathan came out already, but we're getting, um, or excuse me, the Kraken expansion came out already, but now we're getting Abyss Leviathan and a new card game called Conspiracy Abyss Universe. Any word on what these things will be about? Well, Leviathan replaces uh, the threat track from the original game, uh, and it basically gives you a bunch of monsters on the um, on the border of the the board. While you're exploring, you can actually draw monster cards out of the deck, and you have the opportunity to fight the Leviathan that's been been drawn. And the lords and allies in the game will give you benefits um, to killing the monsters. So there's a, a pretty good reason why you would want to get them, kill them. Also, they're a huge point value, five points at the end of the game. And then in Conspiracy, uh, Conspiracy just is a card game that takes place in the Abyss universe, has some some of the, the core gameplay elements from the, uh, from the big game. Uh, it's for two to four players, and you're creating a reverse pyramid. You start with a row of five cards and you work your way down to one. There's a bunch of keys that are um, hidden throughout the game and you have to find them to unlock the next level of the pyramid, essentially. And everybody has their own pyramid that you're you're working through. Intriguing. My curiosity is piqued and because I love Abyss so much, I am really excited about this. So what's that one more time? Conspiracy Abyss Universe. I really like Abyss. Abyss is so good. One last thing. A year ago on October 10th, Greg, the shaman of gaming, Stafford, died. And to mark his passing this year, Chaosium has announced that they are going to release free adventures for all of their game systems on October 10th to honor his memory. And uh, you are invited to play them. You are invited to play any game that he wrote. 
which is quite a long list. Or you're invited to just play a game that he influenced because a lot of people read his games and, and iterated on them, which is an incredibly long list of stuff. So, uh, but uh, they haven't announced what the all the adventures are. They've only announced the first one, but uh, Call of Cthulhu, Rune Quest, Seventh Sea, Hero Quest, and Pendragon are all, all getting something. Seventh Sea got theirs announced. Seventh Sea, The Sword of Kings, which is set in Avalon, will be out on October 10th as a free PDF. And uh, yeah, so when October 10th comes around, yeah, try to do something to honor the memory of Greg Stafford. Uh, even if you can't play one of his games, uh, go watch his Ennies 2018 speech you can find on YouTube. And I love, I love every time I look up a picture of him, the first one I see is a picture of him smiling at the camera, uh, holding two flowers to the side of his head. Because if you're going to call yourself the shaman of gaming, having a picture where you're holding flowers to the side of your head kind of sells that. And I love it. It makes me happy every time I see it. Oh, and if you're going to do anything in social media, use the hashtag, hashtag we are all us, which is apparently something he said in that any speech, which I still haven't watched yet. It's on my agenda. I haven't gotten around to it, unfortunately. Well, that brings us to the end of our news, but not the end of our segment. We still have one more thing to talk about, and that is the year in the life. And Robert, one year ago. Forgot My Dice, episode 47, Stealing Our Time, Youth, and Money. Uh, we went over Plane Shift Dominaria, which we wondered out loud if it was going to be the last one because we heard rumblings of Ravnica at that point. And you know what? It has turned out to be the last one because <laughs> they have not released one since which is sad. That is a little sad. Yeah, I don't. I, I haven't seen anything of like an art book for uh, the Throne of Eldorain, which I'm really sad about because it keeps getting more awesome. They've got they've got golden eggs. They've got you know pumpkins. You know pumpkin uh, carriages. They've got knights. I I showed you that. Tra- Did you watch that trailer I sent you? Yeah. Yeah. Like I want that so bad. Uh, I don't think I posted on social media, but if you type in Throne of Eldorain trailer much like the war of the spark trailer. It's a computer animated thing about uh, two gingerbread people who are, are got cooked together. So it looks like they're holding hands and they go on a little bit of a wild adventure. And uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's a little Shrek esque, I guess like that's everybody I showed it to kind of had that vibe out of it, you know, but uh, yeah, sadly, I think they're, I think they're long, long gone, which is sad. I'm a little bummed. I'm going to go weep in a corner, put on a little guy liner. Don't be sad. Then I can cry the guy liner down my tears and have the little like crow thing going on. It'll be great. Well, that brings us to the end of that, which brings us to the end of this segment. And that leaves us with one last break that we need to take. And when we return, it'll be time for our deep dive. And today's deep dive, strongholds and followers. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by hitting us up in one of the following. You can join us on Patreon, where we post bonus content. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitter. Find us at Forgot My Dice. You can join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash FMD podcast. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give Forgot My Dice a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Lastly, for those of you seeking experiences beyond our concepts of pleasure and pain set the lamont configuration to full hell mode oddly you can find us in several levels of the labyrinth as the only thing playing on the radio wait what i have such sights to show you jonathan oh i need to take your netflix account away from you And welcome back from the break. It is now, of course, time for our last segment of the evening, and that is the deep dive. And today we are deep diving strongholds, 
and followers. And you know what, Jonathan? Ordinarily, this is where I would butt in and uh, read dramatically the uh, the game description text that I have fished out. But I get to tonight because you're taking the lead. Maybe. That's right. That's right. So here you go. Go. It's cool to have a place of your own, a headquarters, a base, a castle, a tower, a keep. Would be even better if your headquarters did something cool for you. Gave you some useful ability, preferably in combat, since that's where a lot, not all, of the game happens. It only takes one character building a stronghold to radically change the nature of a campaign and introduce new narrative opportunities for GM and players alike. Strongholds and Followers is a supplement for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition that gives your character something to spend their money on and extend their influence in the local area. Okay, so what you're going to get if you get this book, I have not found it at a, uh, a local gaming store. I think you have to order it off of his website, which is MCDM Productions. Uh, you get the book if you want it, uh, and you also get a PDF if you want it, or you can just get the PDF separately. And it comes to you relatively quickly because the book is actually out. Um, they are currently shipping it to their European customers. So this Kickstarter is still pretty much the new hotness, which is why I was like, yeah, we should actually we should actually do this. It's, it's somewhat relevant. But you get a nice, somewhat old school looking book that is 268 pages of gloriousness. So, Jonathan, what do you know at all about old D&D, specifically like the BC, BECMI boxes or uh, or like second edition? So you're talking about like OG D&D and OG. D&D. Yeah, yeah. Original gangster. Well, I know... A fair amount because of what we have learned reading books like the one that we reviewed on the show. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can't say that I've ever read any of the additional text with one exception. I have read the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Monster Manual. Mm, Nice. The old school one's quite nice. Yeah, green cover. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, the BECMI box and second edition assumed that at some point your guy would just build a structure and go live there because uh, it comes up a lot. And uh, I I don't know why, <laughs> honestly. And honestly, back in those days where you were assumed to start at level one and just go, uh, getting that high of level to actually be able to go do that was kind of a challenge. You know, level 10, level 12, it, it wasn't easy to get to. Um, but yeah, it's been a part of the D&D game for a long time. And then in third edition, they kind of started getting away from it. Uh, it wasn't like baked into your class that you could build this thing. Um, they presented it in the DM's guide as something you could do. Uh, in fourth edition, I'm pretty sure they dropped it entirely. And at fifth edition, it's kind of got a, a, again, it's back in the DM's guide. It's something you can do, but the, the rules for it are pretty basic. I, I, I flipped over through them like uh, prepping for this. And yeah, it's, it's just like a kind of an optional rule. It gets a couple paragraphs. Doesn't seem to be much of anything. If you watch Matt Coville, uh, he, he talks about these rules, uh, a fair amount in sort of the lead up to this Kickstarter. He has a very high fondness for uh, an old campaign setting called Birthright. And its claim to fame was exactly that. You would build kingdoms and you would manage them and run them. And so this is kind of like, I would say like 70% a conversion of those rules into fifth edition and like, you know, 10% probably the BECMI rules and then like 20% his own sort of takes on it because he says he does this, he has these rules a lot. He, he's been playing, you know, D&D every edition since forever. So since this came up in Birthright, he just ports it into the new edition constantly. So he's been kind of tweaking it and working with it for a long time right now. And yeah, the idea is that at, at, 
in the, as presented, you'd be about seventh level if you wanted to do this. Uh, you can go and make a structure of some sort, and it will uh, grant you certain benefits. Yeah, any questions about my lead-up to this before we get into the nitty-gritty? No, it's a good start. The structures you can build in the book uh, come in basically four varieties. There are keeps, there are towers, there are temples, and there is the establishment. And a keep is what you get on the box. It's a large, it's a large building, a very obvious building. Uh, it houses soldiers. Its main claim to fame is it uh, attracts and you can store or, you know, like have barracks there. Uh, you can have a large amount of soldiers. So you can, you know, have a standing army that is under your control. You are the lord of the manor. You get to have the army. The tower is like a wizard's tower. Um, and with it, uh, you can use spells or you can make your own spells and you can also attract followers. These followers come to tend to be a little bit more eccentric, but sometimes you can also get like a, a unit to, uh, come to your, to your tower's defense. And, uh, a tower can, can house some people, but not like a keep. A keep can house a lot of people. A tower is not as good. Uh, they have a temple, which is kind of like a midpoint between the tower and the, uh, and the keep. Uh, you can attract, you know, sort of religious followers and whatnot better than a tower, but also you get the ability to petition your God to have uh, basically divine intervention in the form of uh, a somewhat random table where based off of your God's alignment, you can pull in some sort of demon or angelic being or fae or something to come help you occasionally. And then the last one is the establishment, which uh, if it sounds roguey to you, it's because it is. Um, it's a place you build. And, uh, obviously that like the tavern is the archetypical one, but, uh, it can be whatever you want and you use it to basically gather intelligence and information and become an, and broker information. It attracts again, kind of, uh, more of a motley band of, of random people and not like an army. Uh, although it could still do that, but it's not nearly as good as it is the keep. If multiple people want to build something in the same location, it becomes a castle. So if like, you know, you and I were playing a D&D &D game and, I, and you were playing a warrior and you're like, I really want to build a keep. And I'm like, yeah, I was thinking about building a temple. We can build a keep and a temple like attached to each other. And I would be the head of the temple and you'd be the head of the keep. But our two structures together would become a castle. And then some of the costs associated with building these two things we would share because, you know, it, it, we, we both need like outer walls and some of the defenses and stuff. And we can split those costs because we just build it around both the things at the same time. <laughs> One of the things they do is they have... Um, strongholds refluffed by class and it's kind of interesting who gets what um like for example rangers also get establishments but you know for a ranger it'd be like a hunting lodge out in the middle of nowhere where you know just random weirdos come in and you get intelligence via like you know travelers rumors and stuff like that whereas a rogue it's it's building a bar is considered a little bit more urban probably but you know not always the case um and uh the keep barbarians get it warriors get it uh, and monks get it too and, you know, but they refluff them for every class, whereas like a barbarian keep is not a keep. It's more like a mobile camp. And they have a little extra rules for that. If you want to have a mobile camp, the fighter one is exactly what you think it is. And the monks obviously get like a Shaolin monastery or something, but they're all functionally the same thing. They've just refluffed them slightly to uh, to fit the bill uh, temples, you know, paladins and, and you know, pretty obvious stuff. Um, but the odd one, too, is uh, uh, warlocks also technically build temples. But instead of, you know, a temple to their God, it's a it's sort of a shrine place to appease your, you know, patron, <laughs> but you do the same thing. You petition your patron to send you aid in the form of like some sort of enslaved creature that's also under his control and stuff or its control. I should say it's, it's just really neat. Like, uh, there's a lot of, he does a very good job of telling you like, these are the rules for these, but if it doesn't make sense for your character, like do it. And he also kind of goes out of his way. Like if you're playing a paladin, 
but you don't want to build a temple because that's not your thing. You don't have to build a temple. Just you make a more religious keep or whatever, like, you know, refluffing this and restructuring it for the different classes is something that you can very much do. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's a really it's a really good section of the book. The rules additions are he adds in a type of rest called an extended rest, which means basically you have to spend a week chilling at your uh, your place to regain benefits of it. Uh, and then your base can have levels and it's just something you spend money on. You upgrade your base with levels and, uh, and it gives you the ability to basically have a class power be more and more awesome. Uh, you know, and you can just use it at will. So like, for example, what, what is a D and D class you like, Jonathan? Uh, I like rogues a lot. You like rogues a lot. Okay. Let's go to the rogue one then. So if you build an establishment and you go and spend a week at it every so often, you get, Vanishing Strike. Uh, after you hit with a sneak attack, you may become invisible. Anything you are wearing or carrying is invisible as long as it is on your person. This effect lasts until the end of your next turn or until you attack or cast a spell. You can do this a number of times equal to your stronghold level, after which you must take an extended rest to refresh this ability. So yes, it gives you something pretty killer, but then again, it also ties you down to a place and makes you go back there if you want to ever use it again. Is it a fair trade-off? I don't know, but that's kind of not his point. He's like, it makes characters more powerful, but it gives them certain responsibilities because they have to go pay attention to this keep every so often or tavern or whatever. Also, while you're on your premises, you basically get layer actions like a monster does on initiative count 20. Uh, A rogue, all enemies within 60 feet are marked for death for the next minute. If you hit a marked enemy, you can remove this mark to deal an additional 66 slashing damage or... Enemies within 60 feet are revealed, losing stealth and invisibility, or you gain a coin of fate. Each time you are hit in combat, you may flip the coin. Heads, the attack misses instead. Tails, the attack hits as normal, and you lose the coin. Uh, And those all happen on initiative count 20, and they're just stronghold actions. And the rogue must be in the same hex or area or whatever as their stronghold, and you can't use the effect again until after a short or a long rest. And you get to use one per uh, level, So if your stronghold is level two, you can just pick two of these things on this list and use them as long as you're on there. But after that, they're gone. And if you get yourself up to level three, then you can use all three of them and stuff. It's, 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 it's very clever. It, the rules for it are not like overpowered, but it's, it's enough to give you a reason to want to do it. You know, it just gives you a nice buff. Oh, oh. And the best part is Matt Coville has kind of a wacky sense of humor, um, which I showed you a bit of it. We'll get to it when we talk about monsters, but there's this, uh, there's this header because he footnotes everything. So, uh, Page 16 uh, starts with the keep and then it has the first footnote and the first footnote is there's a great by which I mean deeply weird movie from Michael Mann called the keep about a bunch of Nazis accidentally letting a demon loose in Transylvania while an eternal man tries to stop them. This doesn't have anything to do with these rules, but it's my book. You get my weirdness. (laughs) I like it. Yeah, which is what is also nice about this book. It's written very conversationally and you can like hear him if you like listen to his videos and stuff like it's very much in his voice. And it makes the reading very entertaining. And I'm surprised every time I sit down to read this book, I'm surprised how much of it I get through just because it's just, it's a joy to read. It's very fun. It's not very dense rules stuff. Did you have any questions about strongholds or anything? No, pretty straightforward so far. The other half of it is the followers you get. And what, there's there's a couple different types of followers. Uh, I've talked a bit about them. Uh, There's units, which you use in battles, which we will talk about when we get to warfare. Uh, There are retainers, which, uh, what's the difference between, oh, retainers are like, um, like lieutenants, 
you know, if you manage to attract or buy one or whatever, they're, they're basically like your, your, your guy Friday, you know, they're, they're your right hand man on the job, you know, and, uh, presumably they can go with you, you know, on adventures or you trust them enough to stay in charge of your castle. Um, what's interesting about them is they're very rules light. Um, they have basically damage levels, uh, and it's equal to their character level and their character level can only get up to level seven. And basically what happens is if I've dragged my, my paladin cavalier with me, if he gets attacked, he doesn't have hit points. Uh, I just roll a saving throw and it's the, just the damage that he took. If he rolls higher, uh, than the saving throw, he doesn't take any damage. And if he fails it, he loses a, a, a wound level. And so if he's like sixth level, then he goes down to five. And if he gets all the way down to zero, he dies. It's pretty straightforward and you don't have to hit points to track. It's very nice. And it means like if you take your retainers on with you to fight, like say a dragon that does, you know, like 60 damage with its breath weapon. Well, guess what? It's pretty impossible to save for 60. <laughs> so yeah, he ain't going to do that in D and D. So there you go. It's pretty easy. It's, it's just, it's nice. It's simple. It reminds me a lot of uh, minion rules from uh, mutants and masterminds. It's, it's just very, it keeps things very easy to manage. If these people manage to get into a fight with you, um, there's artisans, which give you buffs to building stuff, or like one of them is a tailor who can make you fancy outfits, which gives you bonuses to charisma checks. If you're, you know, entertaining other nobility and stuff, uh, they have a lot of neat things. Uh, and, uh, they have a lot of, um, they're supposed to be characters. So they give you like pre-built characters of all of them that are, you know, very fun to read. Um, there's ambassadors who, uh, are just basically no- local groups send a guy to your keep or a gal or a person to your keep to basically say like, Hey, maybe we should have an alliance. And their main benefit if you get them is if you want to buy a unit, you can buy a unit from them. And you know, different peoples have different buffs basically that their units have. So sometimes it's advantageous, you know, if that, if the local orc tribe sends an ambassador to try to make an alliance with you, you can get some orcs on your team and orcs are kind of tough to kill. They, that's one of their things. So it's, it's nice. Allies are basically monsters that have taken notice of you. Um, like one of them is like a dragon or whatever, and they won't like necessarily fight for you. They're more or less like a quest giver. The example is like a blue dragon that comes and lands on this dude's keep and just tells him like, there's a guy over there that's kind of causing me concern, but I want to deal with it. Cause I'm a damn dragon. This is beneath me, but can you go handle that for me? I'm a dragon and I'll owe you one. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of a cool thing. If you attract an ally, like, you know, it's, it's some high level weirdness that you start interacting with, but it builds story, which is, which is quite fun. And, uh, again, it's all, it's a lot of random tables, but it's those random tables where it throws randomness into a game that you, you know, you're supposed to flesh out and it's, it's kind of cool. Like, why does, why did this dragon out of nowhere decide to like start talking to you? But it it leads to like a fun encounter and fun role play. And I really, again, I really like how it's written. Anything that leads to good role play is a good addition. A stretch goal was they put an adventure in called the Siege of Castle Rand, which is just an adventure using these rules, which basically by the end of it, you could probably take over a keep and start living there. I've read it, but I don't really intend on running it because I have my like own idea for this. So, but it's a good adventure. It's quite fun. Uh, if you watch his videos, he's he's actually talked about this adventure even before the book came out because he's ran it a couple times. Uh, the next part is new monsters, which are quite interesting. Um, what I really liked about it is you know how like old timey uh, depictions of like angels and demons they weren't necessarily like angels especially were not necessarily like these angelic beings that you know had wings and swords and stuff like you know, like there were like three headed lions and all this weirdness. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, one of the examples is, uh, the angel of virtue, which is a quote collection of mouths and hands that arrives and sings power. 
which is totally a normal thing to do. The virtue is the word of the gods, and that word is death to evil. These songs are not spells, so magic resistance does not affect them. They are divine words spoken by a creature sent by the gods. And uh, what I like is, and this is on page 159, uh, there's a little sort of aside at the end that says, if the players ask about the words to these songs, I recommend looking up a random yes lyric from Choose from Close to the Edge. <laughs> oh, I laughed so hard when you texted this to me. <laughs> Tales from the Topographic Oceans or The Relayer, which, for example, Stand the marchers, soaring talions. Peaceful lies will not deliver freedom. Fighting we know. Destroy oppression. The point to reaction. As leaders look to you attacking. And then he's like, see, look, that's proper celestial gibberish. And and yeah, I, that led me down the path of looking up yes lyrics. And yes, it would... If you're supposed to have an angel saying weirdness, like, yes, lyrics are a very good way to go. <laughs> which brings you to sort of the last part of the book, which is the warfare section, which it's a very, very um, stripped down thing. You know, you basically have cards with stuff written out and you roll dice and they take wounds and it's it's very, very abstract. At the beginning of it, he says, like, uh, would a more in-depth miniature-based battle game be cool yes i would love to play it but it's not what everybody wants we're going to give you this basic stuff because you could probably find a game that'll do that for you if you really need it uh this is just to to get this out of this book and so yeah if you have units and whatnot you can have your armies fight it's basically percentile dies which is weird uh you know he didn't keep to the sort of D mantra of keeping everything to a d20 he makes you roll like a d100 to resolve a lot of this stuff but eh, whatever it does the job it's nothing great unless like army crunching is like going to be the thing of your campaign, which D and D doesn't do well anyway. Uh, so it, it does the job it needs to do. And, uh, and that is the gist of the book. So Robert, as you were going through the book, was there anything that you, you just thought was a little bit off? He makes reference several times to, uh, basically part two of this book, which is not written yet, uh, which will be a similar Kickstarter to this one, I assume called kingdoms and warfare, which, uh, obviously just is not out yet. It says it will contain more extensive kingdom rules for actually like running a kingdom. And uh, I'm assuming the warfare part will be a more in depth, like war game version, if that's what you want to do. But again, that book doesn't exist and it's a little annoying that it pops up more often than you think it probably should. He's kind of talked about it a few times and he said it was kind of a necessary evil, but still it's a little annoying when it pops up. So what about from an art perspective? Um, How's it look? How's it laid out? Is it easy to approach? Uh, it's really weird. It It's, I think, purposely designed to look like a more 80s uh, book. I don't know if you've seen the cover, like uh, Google Strongholds and Followers. And do you mean that from a... From a looks, per, from the pure art. Okay, so from art, not necessarily layout? No, not not layout, but yeah, like like the vibe he's definitely going for. Like, like you'll see what I mean if you look at the the, <laughs> the font they use as, as the, the cover. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that font is. But it screams 80s. <laughs> you 1985? Know? Yeah, yeah. The art is, uh, it looks like they were channeling for the actual pictures. Um, it looks like they were channeling a little bit of, uh, like that cover image. It looks like it's made with watercolor a little bit. And it looks a little old school. That's probably the oldest school image actually in this book. I think it's purposely done so. It reminds me a lot of the art that they used in uh, in Birthright actually. Which is kind of like watercolors and a little bit more simplistic stuff. I, I, the cover especially makes me think they're trying to go for a more retro look because the art on the inside of it is great now like the the layout has a lot of like there's a lot of embellishments on the side it reminds me just of older like D books and whatnot except you know in color um but the actual art's great uh the the pictures of the monsters are fantastic 
And then every, um, every classes, uh, structure gets like a, an image associated with it. And those are all quite good. Uh, a, a personal favorite of mine is actually the, uh, the, the warlock one, because it's just this big giant creepy statue, uh, in a circle. Oh, sorry. It's a big giant creepy red crystal glowing with energy in a circle of stones. And I'm like, yeah, that, that seems like a, a, a devil warlocks thing. <laughs> I, I, I dig it. But yeah, and the ones I really love are the pictures of the monsters. The monsters are great. Like I showed you that picture of the, the angel of virtue, right? With with just the hands in this like yeah. ring. Yeah. yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of images like that. And it it um they've definitely got a style and they definitely some of them look like parchment pictures and some of them look like more traditional paintings, but they're all excellent. Like all the art in the book is really good. So Jonathan, after explaining the book to you, do you have any questions or thoughts? No, it sounds like a really cool supplement. It looks like a really neat way to kind of extend beyond the standard D&D fifth game, you know? Yeah, the the murder hobo trope. I I really read through this uh, a long, long time ago, and I've really wanted to run a campaign of it where the focus was like, yes, everybody will be building a keep. And instead of being murder hobos, I guess you'll be like Game of Thrones style, like murder nobles. (laughs) (laughs) But I, like, uh, yeah, Gina and I made like a campaign setting up using microscope. And this was always sort of the end goal was to get to a place where, you know, the player, the, the setting that was created would be where the players would adventure later. And yeah, it's, uh, it's what I like about the book. It's very evocative because it's, it's a lot like Matt Coville talking to you. And if you watch that dude's videos, like he does have this weird charisma about him and, uh, it, it comes across in the book. It makes you want to run it. So I guess it's dangerous in that regard. It's like the Yellow King. So don't read it unless you're go- it, you know definitely going to play it because you're definitely going to want to play it after you run it or after you read it. You, it's just it it speaks to you in some weird way. I mean the yes lyrics are just amazing. That was the funniest part. <laughs> and the Keep. I forgot about that movie, The Keep Man. That is a weird movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that is uh, Strongholds and Followers. You can find it on mcdmproductions.com. Uh, it's $40. That'll get you the PDF and, uh, actually it's $30 plus shipping. So it came out to like 39 and change. So it's 40 bucks. It'll get you the PDF and it's shipped to your home. Assuming you're in the States for $40 and it's, it's worth a read. It's definitely, it's definitely something I could see running. And if it sounds interesting to you, you'll probably get a kick out of it. You know, Ian McCullen was in the, the keep. I forgot about that. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm thinking about it now. Cause you know, I'm a big Michael Mann fan and now now I'm kind of rolling it around in my head and it's got like a heck of a cast. <laughs> Scott Glenn's in it. Jurgen Prochnow from when he was really, really popular. You know, he'd just done Das Boot and uh, he also had just done um, Dune. Or no, this was just right before he did Dune. What am I saying? And yeah, that was young Ian McKellen. In fact, wasn't the score by Tangerine Dream? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I'm yeah, just reading about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all coming back to me now. All right, Jonathan. Homework assignment then. Challenge. Challenge to you. Watch The Keep and report back. Is it on streaming anywhere? I have no idea. <laughs> Hold on, if, I had to, if I had to guess, it'd be on Amazon. Amazon loves having weird old movies like that. Amazon Prime Video. Is it? Is it Prime? Or? No, no, it's not Prime. Yeah, Boo. That's true. They were drawn to the keep, the soldiers who brought death, the father and daughter fighting for life, the people who have always feared it, and the one man who knows its secret. Oh, man, they have a they have a thing here. If you like the keep, then you should try Outland. Remember Outland? I do remember Outland. It makes my science hurt because there's no way you could have a colony on IO. But other than that, what else are they suggesting here? Scanners. <laughs> 
think they've just discovered my inner 12 year old phantasm have you ever seen that dude in scanners the head blows up well you looked a lot <laughs> like that <laughs> you're welcome Jonathan you're welcome see from Matt Covilt to me to you you're welcome <laughs> well, well Jonathan, that brings us to no, the- no 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 this is my deep dive go for it so that brings us to the end of another episode of the forgot my dice podcast join us again in two weeks two weeks we doing the punctuation day thing. Two again? weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. I'll have you the know faith. Was my drama teacher. <laughs> Legitimately, the two weeks lady was my drama teacher in high school. Nice. Uh, join us again in two weeks, where we'll have a bright and shiny new episode filled with new days and new games, and I'll probably talk about Dragon Quest and and uh, Steven Universe in there somehow. I I always seem to find a way to do that. And uh, before we go, Jonathan. One last thing. Any uh, any final thoughts? I can't do this. This isn't my line. <laughs> but the two weeks was your drama teacher. Come on. Channel your inner thespian, she, my friend. She passed away, unfortunately. Aw. But yeah, she was a good drama teacher. There you she go. was replaced uh, the next year. She only taught for one year. I don't know why. At least in high school. And then she was replaced by another lady who ended up being the sister of my dad's best friend, but unbeknownst to him, hmm. she was there. Wait, drama class had weird drama in it? You don't say. <laughs> yeah, looking back, holy crap, the drama. <laughs> and I'm not talking about on the stage. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Do you, do you want to close this out or do you want me to close this out? Because I, I made an ass of myself. I mean, you're doing your thing, baby. Go for it. <laughs> All right, Jonathan. Well, join us again in two weeks where we'll bring you another piping hot episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Smelling of rosemary and thyme, I guess. Butter. Butter smells good. Oh, butter and garlic. It's uh, and I, I know. Now I'm thinking. I discovered my air fryer makes excellent fried everything. <laughs> That's neither here nor there, but I really want fried garlic now. I made some sriracha chicken the other night. Oh. Made it up as I went along. Oh. It came out so good. Oh, that sounds good. I'm hungry. Yeah. Put some sugar, some honey, some fish sauce, some uh, nice vinegar. Dude, fish sauce smells like ass, but it tastes divine. Oh, my God. It, it only smells like ass until you mix it with other things that smell really good, and then it goes away. Yeah, At yeah. At least it knows its place. Yeah, yeah, but it... it it, it does not it, it does not smell how it tastes and I don't even know how to describe its but, taste but let me tell you I don't know if, if the vinegar and the sriracha were, were uh, interacting or something but whoa was it hot yeah yeah well that's that's what a lot of cheap hot sauces that's where they get their kick is actually just vinegar so yes yes they were you amped it up you turned wow. it up to 11 <laughs> Chloe Chloe was a little trooper she ate it too and then she got to the end of it <laughs> Her face was bright pink, and she was panting and sweating at the brow. All right, all right, Jonathan. I, I think, I think we're done. I think we're done here. I think we can wrap this up. I think it's, uh, I think it's safe. So, uh, Jonathan, be excellent. Or actually, not just Jonathan. All of you out there, all of our wonderful listeners, we love you all. Be excellent to one another. And Jonathan, party on, dude. Are you just not going to talk about the digital domains or anything? Like no, no. The internet is dead to me because it sucked my soul away with the WoW Classic. Okay, fair enough. Party on. (laughs) Party on.
The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 